Well, top landing gear, I'm incredibly privileged. We're actually standing in a hangar at RAF Coningsby, surrounded by typhoons. And that in itself is quite a thrill. But uh, with us, our guide for this little trip here, this tour, is Flight Lieutenant Nick Callingswood, or CAV. Cal. 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 I can't read properly. No, it's fine. Cal. Sorry, Cal. My was in the way. But Cal, you, you fly these, these fabulous machines. Just tell me what their role is. The so typhoon. the Typhoon is actually a multi-role aircraft, so we're kind of jack of all trades, master of none really. Um, originally the concept for Typhoon was a air superiority fighter, but obviously since since its inception, probably uh, so late 80s, early 90s, kind of aircraft have evolved and we've realised that we can't just stick to one, one role for an aircraft. So that's why she's kind of evolved and now she's a kind of all-round air-to-air weapons, air-to-ground weapons, jack of all trades. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what she... The original design was for... Air defence fighter. That air defence fighter. That was what she was going to be, an air superiority fighter, missiles, that was it. Okay. But obviously with cost and ev evolution of jets and yeah. designs, they've gone, right, no, actually we can do more with that. We can strap some bombs on it and it can be a pretty hefty air-to-ground platform as well as yeah. air-to-air. It's always interesting, isn't it, when something is then has to undertake a role that it wasn't originally designed for. How well has it transferred to its additional role? So pretty well, to be fair. It was never designed to, to carry weapons, but it's obviously been, I like to call the Typhoon a bit of an iPhone. So on the outside, they all look pretty much the same. You yeah. change the software, a few of the black boxes in the inside, and you've got a new aircraft. And that's kind of the idea of the Typhoon. So we can update the software quite easily, and it gives you a completely new capability. Um, obviously, what we pointed out before, the tranche one over there. So that's pretty much just an air-to-air -air, uh, fighter. We can we can put some old air-to-ground munitions on there, but nothing like we're carrying today. So that kind of limits its ability. So that's why we've then upgraded the aircraft to the tranche two and the tranche three that we see in front of us. And they can do the full roll of multi-roll with Brimstone and Paveway 4, all the smart weapons that the Tornado used to have. Which is what you came off? Yes. So what, and that was, uh, you were doing ground attack Tornado? Yeah, so Tornado, again, back in the old days where we were just went, right, this platform could just do this job. Yeah, I was part of the 2D brained mud movers, four. <laughs> yeah, as we got picked on a lot. And how does it, to convert, so obviously you're in mud mover mode for your first tour. Now you've got to also think about air defence, which yep. is, Although there were crossovers always, it was generally if you were a mud mover, you stayed mud. And if you were an air defender, you stayed in the air defence. So yeah. to move in from mud moving to, to the air defence role, how's that gone down? Yeah, it's a, it's a big jump. I think it'd be harder for the air defence guys to jump into the mud, mud moving role, personally. Right. They're going to look at maps and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, printing and sticking was always hard for us. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a big jump, actually, just to kind of appreciate the world is bigger than in your cockpit and just kind of appreciate all the air-to-air, -air, we call it ballet, but air-to-air -air fighting yeah. of how to employ different numbers and different threats. Mm -hmm. And as well as now, right, I might also be trying to get my bombs to a target, so I'm doing my original job, but I'm also fighting my way there in the first place as well. So it's exciting, but it's busy. So as, as an air defence aircraft, um, obviously it's, it's, it's older now than, than some of the new stuff coming out, but I, I gather it still holds its own against anything that's coming out of the factory yeah, these definitely, days. Yeah, definitely, and with some of the newer weapons we've got, obviously it's, um, it's fitted traditionally with AMRAAM, so mm -hmm. American air-to-air -air, uh, medium-range missile. We've just uh, That's radar-guided. That's radar-guided, yeah. yeah. So decent mech scan radar in the nose as well, which will be upgraded to what we call an E-scan, so electronically scanned array, which is pretty much what all the like fourth gen fighters around the world have got yeah. but we've just started adding into the inventory 
a missile called Meteor as well, which is a, a long-range air-to-air missile as well, yeah. which is an awesome piece of kit. That's a fire and forget type thing, was it? Uh, it still needs radar, radar lock, it but does, pretty yeah. much fire and forget. And do you still have any sidewinder sort of capability or a, a, a IR? So type? we do have IR, yeah. So obviously this is where Typhoon excels. So the fact that it's got really powerful engines means that we can get these weapons really far, really fast and throw them a long way. Mm -hmm. But also if, if we do get into that dogfight arena, mm. then Typhoon's an absolute beast and we've got that IR back up. They're uh, not sidewinders. IR being what? Sorry? Infrared. Yeah. Oh, infrared. It's yeah. a okay. heat-seeking missile. Yeah. Uh, but no gun. Oh, we have got a gun. Do you have got a gun? Yeah, okay. she's nestled in there. Oh, it is a gun. Um, yeah. When we start looking around the aircraft, I'll kind yeah. of point out where it is, but we carry about 150 rounds maximum, but they're 27 mil, so they're fair size. <laughs> um, and they come out at a fair rate. And is that radar well. assisted as well? Is it? Uh, there is a moding for a radar assist in, the, in right. there as well, but generally it's a kind of point-and-shoot point type weapon and spray. Fantastic. So making that transfer from the Tornado, which was a two-seater, so you had a weapons operator in, in the back seat. Bag carrier, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say bag carrier. <laughs> <laughs> three of our listeners. Sorry. They weren't what, very useful people. How much did it in, does it increase your workload going into a single-seat operation? So it's an interesting one because Tornado is very hard to fly well because it's very manual, so you've got flaps, various other manoeuvres to pop around with obviously that the wings moved as well mm. so you had lots of speeds lots of limits to adhere to so that's kind of why the pilot's head was fixed this is a flying computer i literally it's not the stick is not connected to any of the surfaces at all it's connected to a computer right. so i say i want to do this and it goes okay i'll do this and give you the best performance g as required um it, it self-configures if i drop the gear down all the slats and the flaps will self-configure it's really easy to fly i can teach probably all of you to fly this in about an hour Brilliant. Right, let's for it. Let's <laughs> but that but that's the idea <laughs> but that's the idea so so a pilot's brain is now not focused on flying the aircraft but fighting the aircraft so you free up what we call capacity in order to kind of just Manage systems, Goodness. which the guy in the back would have traditionally been doing. How's that the selection me. process for pilots, do you think? So, I've not seen the initial selection process, but probably if you look at kind of how pilots came in probably 20, 30 years ago, they're probably very mandrolically skilled, whereas yeah. now, maybe not so much, but probably more cognitive ability in there. I, I don't know, you'd have to look at it. Still not getting in. <laughs> how, how many are there on the, the base at the moment and in the RAF? Oh, that's a good question. I think we're in the 140, 150 mark in, in the Air Force, give or take, because obviously we, we take delivery of some and then we also scrap some of the older yeah. ones as well. Are they still, are they still building them? Uh, they are. Wharton still produce them for our export com countries as well. Okay. How much are they? If I'm in the market. <laughs> Quite a lot. I don't want to write one okay. off and find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Nick, this is a QRA base. Yeah. Quick reaction alert. Yep. Is that right? Of which there are only two in the whole country. I yep. Understand. The other one at Lossibad. Shh, don't yeah. tell the Russians. They don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of what operationally that involves, can you can you talk us through that? Yeah, so uh, any one point around the country, 365 days a year, we've got pilots in gear, ready to go with a number of these aircraft, loaded, ready, in some sort of form, left, right. Um, to go and get airborne in, in moments few, really. Wow. So, so as soon as that balloon goes up, if we get a phone call or a buzzer goes, yeah. you're in the you're sprinting to the jet, jumping the jet, power up, and off you go. And you can get airborne very quickly when yeah. you want to. Yeah. And that can be day or night. So you could be in a fairly deep sleep and the buzzer goes off and you've, oh, okay, right, run for the hangar. And presumably you're training for that anyway, yeah. constantly, are you? Making pretty, a lot of noise. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. 
Fantastic. So, and what aircraft, you're talking about the, the different variants, what aircraft would you use for that? That would be the air defence role, presumably. So, all of them are all QRA oh, okay. capable. So, obviously, the basic, no, the basic, the tranche one um, was only really that kind of envisaged as an mm. air-to-air player. So that can still do Q, and which still does hold Q every now and again. Um, but then it's just managed around the force. So we'll just put different jets in there for hours and things like that. Okay. Is there a big difference between the, the sort of the pilot interface with the, the tranche one and two and three, or does it look the same in the in the flight deck? So hardware-wise, it yeah. looks identical; they're all yeah. the same. But actually, behind when the scenes, the button, there's, there's a huge, huge jump, yeah. especially from tranche one. Um, we have different software standards, yeah. so we have our what we call 3.38 in our tranche one, which is it works. I'm trying to get an analogy. Really, it's <laughs> it looks like an apple, but 10, yeah. 15 years ago, yeah. and you jump in this one, it's just a completely new iOS soft soft keys and buttons do completely different stuff. Yeah. Uh, and the way some of the hardware works and integrates with the pilot is different as well. Yeah. So actually jumping between the two can be a little bit tricky, yeah. but we tend not to do that. The squadrons have the, the new kind of software, the new jets as well. Yeah. And the older ones primarily live here on, on 29 on because we can manage that. There's one two-seater park just over there a relic yeah well so i gather tell me about the life of the two-seater well yeah not so long for this earth no not at all they are they are slowly being phased out because they were probably the first ones to come in actually in, in the tranche one they've been heavily used because of obviously training and um, we've slowly evolved in the raf to realize that actually we can use synthetics so simulator training and backed up with good ground-based training instructors and the single seat to to basically go from never flown a typhoon before fly a few simulators it's not a few there's quite a few <laughs> yes. and then jump in a typhoon and go for what is your first sortie it's it, it's fairly scripted it's not like you can go off and do whatever you want it's a very set set boundary of what you're going to go on that jet and there's an instructor in the tower with you obviously monitoring everything as well it's so not quite it's still, the same as having the guy sitting behind you i know it's still kid gloves <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a big big level of trust that we put in our pilots to go okay you've you've not flown one of these before but off you go I'm not saying they've never flown before. Obviously, they'll have been through years of, of flight training. So they would have probably come off what beforehand? I mean, tornadoes originally? Maybe? Uh, no, so no. we don't really get that many crossovers any, anymore because obviously the tornado kind of crossover guys like myself have kind of either come across or they've gone a different way. Yeah. So now we've gone back to primarily having um, what we call ab issues. Yes. So guys who've just come through the training system. So they will have flown Hawk T2, the new BAE Hawk at Valley before then. Before then, Probably now Texan, which yes. is the replacement to Tucano, and then obviously before then, Prefect. <laughs> well, possibly, <laughs> yeah, Prefect. I mean, that is but a heck of a job. It does, yeah. And each stage you get faster, more manoeuvrable. Uh, so it's a, at each stage it is a big jump for the guys. So from the hawk to this, with a bit of simulator training in between. Yeah. Big difference, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can be. Wow. But like I said, the the school here is all built on kind of graduated steps. You'll you'll go through a phase, the general handling phase. You'll at each sortie it'll be ramped up different complexity different kind of requirements of the student uh, and then obviously they'll go into the next phase and it'll ramp up again and by the time you leave the school yeah. you'll have done a number of hours simulated a number of hours live in all the different disciplines that you can fly this jet in so so from your entry point into the RAF as a, as a, a student if you like um, if you took a typical route through to getting your qualification to fly this what sort of time period are you talking about 
if it was a typical, you know, a typical. If you look at the t training system, the way it should run, it's about five to five and a half years, I would say, trimmed down quite nicely. It's taking a little bit longer than that at the minute, just with obviously different problems, I would say, different things going on with industry, etc. Because we obviously we farmed out a lot of our flight training to uh, to industry partners a number of years ago. Um, but actually, I think that time's coming down now as well. But you don't effectively become a useful pilot for five years are you useful in terms of your actual ultimate role yeah that's it the first role you'll have will be flying one of these yeah and, and thing, five years and thing is we're, we're still learning so once they leave here they'll go on to their squadrons they leave here what we call limited combat ready um, so they'll go on to their squadrons they will then go through another workup to become fully combat ready we'll then deploy do various other exercises and then they'll go through various upgrades so they'll go through a, a pair's lead upgrade so they can lead another wingman around a fours lead upgrade so they can control a flight it's just constant guys will then come back here as qualified flying instructors weapons instructors and then obviously take that knowledge out to the force as well so for, for our guys it's just it's that training might end but actually it's you're, st you, you're still you're still Can learning you yeah pretty much wow. um, you say it, it sort of it flies very much itself the, the typhoon yeah. um <clears throat> sounds a bit like an airbus does it um <laughs> do, do you be is it still a joy to fly or, or do you feel detached from it at all no absolutely it's, a, it's an absolute joy to fly to yeah. have that much power that much perf performance and potentially at your fingertips yeah. it's, it's amazing problem is you don't appreciate it that much because when you go flying you're usually in work mode yeah. you're busy you're thinking about what mission or what sort you're doing yeah. it's only those fleeting 10 30 seconds where you look down and go actually this is pretty cool <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how fast have you gone on it have you ever done it you know when you're on the motorway this is my own <laughs> analogy to my you know suddenly you're daydreaming and you look down and go oh shit 95 miles an hour <laughs> How, how fast can you go in this? Um, <laughs> she'll not do, saying you were daydreaming. No, just <laughs> she'll do Mach 1.8, and that's that's a, a limit placed on on the aircraft as well for various other reasons. Um, okay. It feels like she'll go a lot faster. I it's got a governor on it, has it? Well, you have to actually bring the, the throttles back to slow <laughs> her down, because otherwise I think she'll keep going quite easily. Old jets, old F3s could do Mach 2, Mach 2.2, I Goodness. think it was. Yeah. Uh, but she she would definitely do it, I think, if you let her. Wow. What, what, what's preventing her from going for... I mean, is it wing speed or is it just No, so that, that, that is a rule for us. And that's, I think, governed by engines, skin heating, stuff oh, okay. like that. It's just obviously to preserve the aircraft a bit longer. Mm. That's why the F3s were all bent and flew sideways at the end of their life. <laughs> and is it easy... I mean, to, sort of, if you're not careful, obviously you've got to keep an eye on... Um, limits if you take off I imagine you take off at full power and then all of a sudden if you don't do something quickly you're about to go through the sound barrier over land yeah that, that's it and especially with this aircraft as well she will accelerate quickly yeah. even what we call in dry power that's without using the afterburner at all yeah. um, we've got various warnings in cockpit we've got direct voice so she'll bleat to us if we're going pretty quick she'll tell us when we're in the transom I've got one of those <laughs> yeah in and the Boeing without, and that's without <laughs> there, carrying it well, but yeah brilliant yeah. What, what does that feel like, Mach 1.8? A non-event. Honestly, you park the throttle in, in. Honestly, in Jets of old, I took a tornado just supersonic, and I thought the, th the world was going to end. The thing was <laughs> shaking to bits around me. Uh, this thing is an absolute joy. Yeah. All you'll see is a little twitch in the altimeter, just obviously because the pressure over, oh. the, over the ADTs just changes that pressure. But, yeah, nothing at all. Yes. You're saying that you don't really have time to fully appreciate the joy of flying this. Is there a big queue to become the Typhoon display pilot? Oh, there is. Is yeah, there? Is yeah, there? there is. Um, 
yeah, it's been a little bit of a, a bad season for, uh, I think, the display yeah. pilot this year. I think he joined thinking it would be a great season. And <laughs> unfortunately, because of COVID, has, has killed all that. But yeah, there's there's definitely a, a number of guys. It's, it's tough. It's hard. Um, it's brutal. It's a super display. Is it Jim Peters who's just yeah, finished? Yeah, Jim P did the second year as well. Yeah. So I think he's... Is it How long do you normally do it for? Is it just a year? Ju- normally a year, yeah. yeah. There's There's been various suggestions that two years is probably ideal as you'll have seen from Jim his second year display was a lot better yeah. <laughs> I didn't see too much wrong with the first year to, <laughs> no, be the, the, to be honest the first year was great as well but the, the second year he said he just felt more comfortable he was yeah. in the zone a lot more to be fair you've got four people who are going wow just watching him go around the circuit so. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's um, phenomenal. I, I saw him at Eastbourne, and I'm sure the commentator, who was George Smokey Bacon, by the way, said that his. I think his parents probably come from down there. I think his mother was in yeah, the crowd down there. that day, and uh, we were just sitting there saying, "God, imagine if you're this guy's mum, and just look what he's doing up there." Uh, it's a cracking display. Yeah, it's it's, it's brutal on the body, though. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been fortunate enough to sit in the back of Jim doing a display at really? height. Yeah, well, not at height, but about 1,500 feet. Yeah, and it was punishing. And that was in the two-seater um, but that was that was hard work punishing in, in, in the amount Phys- of g physically yeah speaking of that what are your g limits are they is the aircraft limited or is it a body limit uh the this aircraft will limit itself so that's right. the thing there's there's no limits to break it'll just right. back stick so it as much as you want and, and it'll, it'll give you as much whatever, as it can so it'll do not my uh, spot start again it'll do plus nine to minus three easily and so I'm used to obviously jeep pants. Are you a full jacket? Yeah, and... we've got everything. So yeah. and that's the great thing about Typhoon, whereas other jets like the Raptor, for instance, will do 9G, mm. but you've just got jeep pants. You haven't got a compression jacket like we have. Yeah. The oxygen's been rammed into your lungs to obviously yeah. balance against the jacket, squeezing oh. you. It's all to do with keeping... Are you tilted seating? No, or is it no the seats are actually quite upright. Yeah. Uh, the F-16's quite yeah. reclined, but this one isn't. But yeah, it's um, the kit is really good. Once you hit 9G and once you get used to it, yeah. you, you squeeze initially, but then you can kind of back off and sit relatively comfortable. At 9G. Yeah. <laughs> <That's incredible>. <laughs> <laughs> I was six foot before I started this job. <laughs> Cal is four foot three. <laughs> when you took me on that uh, little flight with our uh, at Benson yeah. in the thing I've now forgot the name Katana. of the Katana, yeah. and I said, uh, "What's?" G force like and yeah. you'd well, how many G were we putting in well, there? Well we pulled about plus three and then minus well zero I suppose. So we were weightless. And that's what upset you I think. The weightless <laughs> bit. Because you've never been anything like weightless before, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, I think we went up to about three three and a half G in that. And uh, yeah, you feel but no G suits. But remember on the Tucano we used to train up to about 6, 7G yeah, six, with seven. no GCs yeah. at all yeah Gosh. that felt brutal um, back but, then as well I bet but having a a body built to be a fighter pilot obviously I was like hey, <laughs> of course tall lanky blokes they've all passed out <laughs> yeah you went on to Wessex's and Pumas you may know the story <laughs> um, Cal just tell me about do you call these canards yeah, four planes. Four planes. So it's basically a Delta Wing aircraft with four planes. Yes. How are those used? I mean, I guess it's all through the computer, but are they the equivalent to an elevator that you would normally have at the rear of a conventional aircraft? Yes. Thank yeah, you very so, much. So that's exactly how the, the Delta Wing works. And you'll see it's fairly in vogue with air forces around the world. Yeah. Um, Saab Gripen, the Rafale, yeah. Typhoon. And that's because they're all really highly manoeuvrable. Right. But you can't fly them out of computer. So we've got four flying control computers in this. Um, they've tested it down to two failed, I think. No one really wants to turn off a third. And you definitely can't fly it without four. So no. it's basically unstable, yeah. this aircraft. And that's why it's so manoeuvrable. Yeah. So if all the computers went down, 
it goes down. Yeah, yeah. removable furniture and out yeah. you go. Removable yeah. <laughs> <laughs> furniture. Flapperons as well. Yep. Yeah, flapperons. So again, all all self-configuring. You can take your hands off the stick and look down, and the, the four planes are doing this all the time because I don't know how many moments a minute, but it's a lot that it's trimming itself to keep itself in stable flight anyway. So you're going to show us around the plane? Yeah, you're absolutely. Let's do it. Can we walk and talk? We can walk yeah, and talk. Yeah, I'm maxing me out a little bit. Um, so yeah, we'll start here anyway. So we've obviously got the, the four planes. These kind of park in this configuration. They, they double as a kind of a lift dump as well when we're on the ground, all weight on wheels dependent. Um, in old aircraft, you'll have always seen the kind of pitot tube, the big sharp pointy thing which feeds all the instrumentation. We have these little fellows instead, which kind of double as everything. So we've got pitostatic, we've got AOA, because obviously they're on different points in the nose as What's well. AOA? Angle of attack. Thank you. So all that feeds into the flying control computers and gives all the information to the flying control computers in order to fly the jet. So they're very important little things, wow. which is brilliant as a design, because if you come back around here, this little lump here is where the fuel probe, probe deploys from. Okay, yep. So obviously pops out, big knuckle that we ram into what looks like a big shuttlecock to take fuel, <laughs> which when it comes out, sits in line with these fellas. So if the, uh, if the basket misses and goes underneath the nose <laughs> oh. it has a horrible tendency to collect these little things <laughs> and bend them thankfully there's redundancies but yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah it's a bit of a pain that to be fair so as we said yeah air to air refueling probe so indefinite indefinitely really you could fly the jet for but we kind of go on nine hours as a maximum and you'll kind of see why when you look up in the nine cockpit hours. the the seat is not comfortable and you've got to still be a human being when you're in the aircraft as well um, we could talk about pee bags at this point, can we? Yeah, really? we can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a serious point, actually. How, how, how important is pilot ergonomics? I mean, it's here to do a job, this aircraft, but you have, as you say, you have actually got to be capable of flying it yeah. on a long sortie. Yeah. So, and not, not depreciate your mental ability by yeah. dehydrating yourself or anything yeah. like that. So, yeah, you still have to be. So, do they think about that? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no. Designed by engineers, not yes, pilots. Of yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's. For someone my size, it's it's all right, but the bigger guys do struggle on the kind of longer missions, you, especially when you're out in Cyprus as well. Some of those might go eight, eight and a half hours. That's in the jet, uh, airborne, but also you might be in, in the aircraft probably 45 minutes before, half an hour before, and then the same when you've landed. Yeah, so it's a long time to be in the seat and you've got, you need food, drink, and you do need to go to the toilet as well. So you've got, you've got to do that as well and then store those somewhere. And then you've got, the reason you're in the jet in the first place you need all your mission materials so you become quite a ninja in storing things around the aircraft goodness me <laughs> so the kind of business end of typhoon and into the engines which are incredible so uh, ej engines so the they they push out a huge amount of power and reheat it's got a one-to-one -one thrust to weight ratio for typhoon so you could cut the wings off it stick on its tail and it'll accelerate <laughs> and go up it's an absolute rocket ship Goodness. But like I said, that's that's what she was designed for, air superiority, getting weapons really high, really fast, so you can throw them further. But then if it needs to, if you haven't stopped your adversary before getting to what we call within visual range, then we've got the agility, performance, and the weaponry in terms of ASRAM, so not quite Sidewinder, but very similar, um, to beat someone in that visual engagement. And I've had the opportunity when I've been abroad to fight both um, Rafale, the French equivalent, yeah. and F-22, and, and she'll beat them if you fight really? it right. Yeah. yeah, You generally beat the man, especially in F-22. F-22 is as 
agile, but they don't have the G kit, so they, they tire quite easily. Why do they not have the G kit? Because they're not designed to get to that. They're designed to kill oh, you before okay. you get into visual range because you just don't know they're there. Okay. Uh, what are you actually coming across? I presume it's Russian bears or is that in terms of where you're, when you're based in the UK? Yeah, you can. east or north and... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So the northern base for QRA generally concerned with, well, both really, um, airliners who need assistance and Russians coming in from the north, they'll pick up those guys, but it is generally bears, long-range aviation, which are just floating down probably into the med to do, do their own thing down there. And then for us down here, primarily airliners who want assistance and we'll pick up some of the Russian stuff as it comes further south. All the pilots have fallen asleep, that's the other one. <laughs> They're not making any radio calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, generally. On the wrong frequency at the wrong time. How, how often is that a, a thing for you to go and check out an airliner? Um, not as not as regular as people think. I know it's in the papers quite yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah. but yeah. it, it kind of gets reported when it does happen. You um, break windows. Well, apparently, yeah. But that needs to, needs to happen. At the time, we don't know what's happening on board that aircraft, so no. we need to get eyes in the sky on that aircraft as quickly as possible, and that's how we do it. It's not, not to shoot anyone down. It's there to literally lend assistance if we can. Yeah. And when you do come across a Russian bear or whatever it is, what, what do you then do once you've actually you come alongside it? Give a little wave. Do you do you have signals that you? Well, we're as, we're as professional as we can be airborne. Obviously, we we don't want to get in each other's ways. Um, they're generally flying in um, international airspace, so we're just there just to monitor them and make sure because they're not talking to the usual air traffic frequencies. They can be a burden to civilian air traffic, so that's where we're there just to kind of not guide them as such, but be that link of down to air traffic. Right, this is what's happening. This is where they're going, and just kind of shepherd them a little bit to try and keep our own air traffic safe yeah. as best we can anyway and, and sort of letting them know that you're there absolutely that's yeah. a big part they, of it they can't just fly past and not uh, not get a little hello from no. her majesty's government no no absolutely right um so what else can we talk about so obviously we talked about the gun earlier um there was a big story with typhoon when it first came in that the gun was too expensive because of maintenance. So they yeah. went through this whole rigmarole of, right, we need something that looks like a gun, weighs exactly the same as a gun, shaped like a gun, what can we do? <laughs> and they went through all sorts of like concrete in there. And they went, oh God, eventually just put the gun back in. So, well done. <laughs> so let me just pop this panel. Oh, there we go. So there's a fella mounted into the wing route. What's that? What is that? What's 27mm Mauser cannon. So it's about that round and about that long. So fairly hefty. Um, they used to be high explosive. What we use now is what we call FAP, so frangible armour piercing. Really good against anything armoured aircraft. Um, it can be used in all variety of targets. Um, it's because it's direct, what we call direct fire weapon. So low collateral, so you can employ it against lots of things really, from moving vehicles to aircraft really. I'm so, stupid. Where do the bullets go? That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Here, just at the end. So the barrel goes all the way to the end. So this yeah. is a frangible panel. So the first round takes that out, and the second oh. round follows suit. So this is this. Re what was the red tape on the yeah. Spitfires yeah, exactly. and Hurricanes and things? Yeah. So We've just got a modern version of red yeah. tape. So yeah, fairly hefty rate of fire. You're looking at about three to four seconds. So same sort of fire rate as your Spitfire or Hurricane yeah. before you're fired out. But obviously we only carry. We only carry um, about 150 rounds, depending on temperature. Second, sorry, is that very much a secondary? 
Yeah, abso absolutely. That that's a that's the last resort, really. I would hope that I've used my long, well, medium or long range air to air missiles, my short range, and then I'm I'm going for the gun. It's probably a last resort, yeah. or even in an air to ground roll, that would be my last resort because I've got a lot more accurate and smarter weapons to use first. And three seconds, you haven't got a lot of. There's no second chances. No, and because it's not HE, I need to hit something as well. So, again, it's a very direct fire weapon. Uh, other stuff while we're here as well. So these chin, uh, chin ports, you can see they go all the way down here. So they're fairly hefty. About that round is where our Amrams or our Meteors would sit. So if we were just using the chins, we can carry four of those. So fairly hefty amount of armament for long-range radar-guided missiles. Um, in an air-to-air -air fit, we might carry six of those with two of the short-range uh, IR missiles as well. If we were in a multi kind of role as well, we'd strap a, a designation pod between these two doors, yep. which I can obviously then control from the cockpit. We'd add in, in here and in, in the other side as well, what we call those paveway fours. We we're talking about them earlier. So GPS, uh, laser guided, 500 pound class weapons, yep. so very accurate. Um, awesome little, little weapons and then on the outside potentially look at the new brimstone 2 fit as well so the anti-armor anti-tank um, missile as well so can cover absolutely everything so you can be you can be doing any of your targeting on the ground in in iraq syria as required and then you get a, a radio message and go okay fine turn those weapons off bring up my air-to-air -air weapons look at my radar and i'm now in an air-to-air -air kind of mindset as well Differently, does it handle with all that hanging off it if you're in pure air to air? Really? Not, not much, really? actually, yeah. Because, again, all the flying control computers take care of it. She yeah. feels a little bit more sluggish, but not by much. Yeah. This big thing here, I take, is a fuel tank. Fuel it? tank, yeah. Not so, a bomb. No. <laughs> it's always a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> These are our external fuel tanks. Uh, in the future, there will be an upgrade. Uh, oh, perfect. Mm. So... The only way you can tell a tranche two from a tranche three from the outside is these little humps on the back. Oh, yes. So, and these will be used in future for what we call conformal tanks. So, you know, the exterior spine tanks that you got on the F-16. So we'll have eventually something similar. So it will give us more longevity in the air as well, which would be ideal. I think we'll keep these as well. These are drop tanks. So we can get rid of them if we need to. So internally, under the skin, we can carry about five tonnes of fuel, which sounds like a lot. But if I park the throttle, I can burn 800 kilos a minute. God, so I can burn out pretty quickly. Uh, with the drop tanks, we can carry just over 6,000 kilos. So about 6,200 kilos of fuel. Goodness. So it sounds like a lot, but when yeah. you, if you're a bit of a heavy, heavy with the left hand. Performance. Performance. Yeah. Interestingly, if, um, if you fight, it's kind of if you just train for instance and you fought a single seat with two tanks versus a clean typhoon a clean typhoon if assuming that both pilots with the same skill would would wipe the floor with it the performance difference is huge how much does the skill level of fully qualified experienced fighter or typhoon pilots vary and i see there's a little smirk on your face there is a little smirk yeah <laughs> um, it depends how many typhoon pilots are listening to this who then call me up afterwards and go no um, who's the best <laughs> it, it does vary um but obviously we get skill fade as well because uh, air to air fighting is a skill is a skill um so if you don't do it for a long time or you go away and deploy and just do air to ground type stuff then it will kind of naturally fade away mm. and someone who's done it more will will be better so I think that's enough of a sitting on the fence answer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there is there is definitely a skill difference. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously we can do 
we've got some more more pylons on here so we can do our advanced medium range air to air missile or meteor on there as well as our heat seeker on there as well and this is this is not a real one this is a dummy uh, in everything but the, the rocket motor so the rocket motor doesn't work but everything else operates so yeah everything else operates as it should gosh and um, we have a helmet as well, HMSS, helmet mounted sight, uh, which I can link those systems to. It's a little bit like the Apache monocle, that if I then look, that'll then follow me as so well. you have a HUD as well? We have a HUD as a but, default. But also you have a helmet yeah. mounted Yeah, and then when I look back to the HUD, obviously it just operates in the HUD mode, but when I look over my shoulder, I can get various symbology as well. And so does this give you sort of all aspect firing? Can you fire over your shoulder, for example? Uh, not quite, yeah. not quite. Um, we, we can employ without having to look straight out in front, um, but that's kind of all we can really say on that. Um, <laughs> what, another great system about Typhoon as well is Link 16. So lots of aircraft now have Link 16 stuff, so you can see, you can almost pass text messages between aircraft, but you can also see where they are, which is great with the whole beyond visual range, because in my helmet, I can then look around and see little symbols of where all my little friendly aircraft are, uh, having not needed to see them and likewise for anything that I've designated as a target I can then look round and go oh it's there, it's there, it's there. Which is a brilliant system as well. And it's all about getting that information into the cockpit as, as best they can. Yes, remarkable. Um, dash pods on the outside, so defensive aid, so relatively passive, just listening out to what's going on there. Will give us various indications in cockpit if anyone's actively targeting us. Uh, in the back of this one, uh, we've got two little like blanks, but what we can fit in there is something called turds, so towed <laughs> radar decoys. Uh, they sit out behind the aircraft and just put out a massive um, radar. Radi radar signature for any missile to kind of home onto those rather than ourselves if we wanted to carry those. Oh, classified. <laughs> Other stuff, standard stuff, so chaff in the background, so just strips of uh, tinfoil that's kicked out the back that falls radar. We've got various flares underneath as well, um, and we can strap on a few other bits and bobs as well. Chaff hasn't changed since the war. No, no, chaff is just old school, yeah. but it, it works, so we use it. Window, it was called. Yeah, it? yeah. 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 Wor works nicely. You can throw it out in different all sorts of different shapes, sizes, uh, and it does different stuff, so it's quite clever in that regard. Amazing. Uh, some of the emergency stuff we've got on the jet as well, because um, we will talk about that. Obviously, engines are massive, uh, hoof out a huge amount of power, 20,000 pounds per engine, uh, and reheat, so massive is, amount is of power. Is there any vectoring on those at all? No, that's, uh... no, that's just, just them. The nozzles will get smaller and bigger, yeah. uh, depending on what you're demanding, but no vectoring. Um, so, some of the, the jets can fly really slow and are really tight turners. They will vector their nozzles as well, but it's not how Typhoon kind of operates. Are these turbo jets or turbo fans? <laughs> I have to get back to you on that. <laughs> no, never been asked that question. I think they're turbo jets. I think they're just jet, just jet turbine engines. Is there a bypass question? Is there any bypass ratio? A small bypass. So it's probably a small fan. I have to look at that. Sorry about that. It's all right. <laughs> Chop that one out. Uh, we've got a hook in the middle. So that's an emergency um, process only. So if we lose hydraulics and we can't steer the aircraft, then we need to stop it pretty quickly without letting it roll out. So we can drop that hook and go into a progressive cable. Um, we can't land on a ship. If we did, the back end would stop and the front end would keep going. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so sorry, how do, you, how do you use that? So 
if the pin was all out in cockpit, I can press a button that says hook and it'll drop the hook down. This will then swing, hit the ground. Uh, the horseshoe will go under a progressive cable and the cable will just roll out slowly and slow me down. So, having a rest of wire? Yeah. Oh, right. And you've got a shoot. Yeah, so a brake shoot as well. If we need to, if we're landing on a short runway or landing particularly heavy, then we can deploy that as well. That pops out the back and, uh, and slows, slows the aircraft down without using the brakes too heavily. But the brakes are incredible for what they can do. They can stop. Well, at this at takeoff is probably around 16, 17 tonnes worth of jet and you could land straight away and the brakes would be absolutely fine. Any reverse thrust? No reverse thrust no. on this, no. Unlike the old Tornado which had the buckets, buckets. that came round. Yeah. It's all added weight, it's all added complication. Right. The brakes are brilliant on this and you've obviously got the brake shoot as well. Whereas the brakes on Tornado were, I think, off like a Ford Cortina or something like that. <laughs> um, so they were terrible. Who packs the shoot away once you've deployed it? I always wonder what happens. I've, quite often at air shows, I've seen them deployed and then you can never quite see what happens next. There's usually a team just running around the airfield trying to scoop <laughs> it up um, and then they, they'll repack but it and put it back right, in. Right, okay. Um, Cal, uh, the Typhoon is a, a JV. Between who? Joint venture between which? Um, so Eurofighter is a yeah. sort of consortium. So it was the Spanish, the Italians, uh, the Germans, ourselves. French, French originally got involved but ah. then decided they went went a different way so they went and built Rafale so that's why it looks very similar yeah. um, interesting in terms of work share as well I think the Italians build one wing someone else builds another <laughs> and they all kind of come together or used to anyway and then got bolted together which I think in the early days when they first made the first one was interesting because certain bits didn't line up at Wharton yeah, yeah. so um, they're built uh, at Wharton yeah. at BE Systems there in terms of your operational sorties on these, I don't know how much you can tell us, if anything, about about what you've done operationally and dropping a little bit of ordnance here and there. Just a little bit, yeah. So, um, so I was, I don't know if fortunate is the right word, but I was I was lucky enough to be on one squadron, so the the Lossy Mouth Typhoon squadron at the time when the vote happened to go into Syria. Uh, so we deployed to to Cyprus. So that was the first time Typhoon had properly i would say deployed it had gone and worked in elemy so in libya before but that was kind of in a as a bolt on to the tornado because at mm -hmm. the time it didn't really have much air to ground weapons capability it still had some old gps guarded weapons but not really an entity on itself so mm -hmm. this was really exciting as like the first real deployment for typhoon we dropped i said 334 ish weapons yes. uh, and supported ground troops it's awesome because we kind of saw we were operating primarily around the southern part of iraq so ramadi with a few other areas as well but you kind of see just over time the gradual gradual winning of this campaign and people people the people you're trying to move out of the way running away because yeah. they're like oh, actually there's quite a lot of action going on here so it, it was good to see that we we're actually making a difference yes busy as well with different other coalition partners yeah and, and i guess for you guys as well i mean quite something to actually put all that training into practice because it's a bit of a rarity yeah it can be um some people can go through their entire careers and, and yeah. not deploy on ops i was lucky that i i got to go on the tornado is my first kind of operational aircraft which was everywhere yeah. so we, we did afghanistan i did um libya as well and then obviously crossed over to this and i've done iraq and syria as well yeah. so busy wow. does it feel like this this looks after you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it has when, you, when you were in syria it has its vices or did you i did we know its weaknesses and every aircraft will have its own weaknesses but as long as you know them then you can kind of mitigate them enough. Uh, but yeah, you do kind of feel safe.
Well, you have to be pretty cool to say you feel safe in one of those things. Flying one of the fastest jets in the world whilst being shot at and describe it as safe. Uh, I nearly did myself a mischief just getting into it. So uh, uh, you can see those photos of us uh, in the typhoon uh, on our Instagram and Facebook. We want to say a huge thank you to Nick for showing us around everybody at RF Coningsby uh, and his lovely wife Bex who actually organised it all. Uh, and since we recorded this, I think we mentioned in the last episode, they've had a baby. So big love to them. Uh, next week, we're going to be in the simulator and you can see whether Rob lands a typhoon or crashes it. What do you think? If you've ever seen him drive, you'll know where my money is. Uh, until then, uh, take care. Let us know what you think on the socials. Give us some questions for Ask James because our next magazine episode is coming very soon. Until then. Bye for now.